Chapter eighty five Middlemarch This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Middlemarch by George Eliot. Chapter eighty five Then went the jury out, whose names were Mr. Blindman, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Lovelust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Heady, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, Mr. Implacable, who every one gave in his private verdict against him among themselves, and afterwards unanimously concluded to bring him in guilty before the judge. And first among themselves, Mr. Blind Man, the foreman, said, I see clearly that this man is a heretic. Then said Mr. No Good, Away with such a fellow from the earth. I, said Mr. Malice, for I hate the very look of him. Then said Mr. Lovelust, I could never endure him. Nor I, said Mr. Livloose, for he would be always condemning my way. Hang him, hang him, said Mr. Heady. A sorry scrub, said Mr. Highmind. My heart riseth against him, said Mr. Enmity. He is a rogue, said Mr. Liar. Hanging is too good for him, said Mr. Cruelty. Let us dispatch him out of the way, said Mr. Hatelight. Then said Mr. Implacable, Might I have all the world given me, I could not be reconciled to him. Therefore, let us forthwith bring him in guilty of death. Pilgrim's Progress When immortal Bunyan makes his picture of the persecuting passions bringing in their verdict of guilty, who pities faithful? That is a rare and blessed lot, which some greatest men have not attained, to know ourselves guiltless before a condemning crowd, to be sure that what we are denounced for is solely the good in us. The pitiable lot is that of the man who could not call himself a martyr, even though he were to persuade himself that the men who stoned him were but ugly passions incarnate, who knows that he is stoned not for professing to be right, but for not being the man he professed to be. This was the consciousness that Bulstrode was withering under while he made his preparations for departing from Middlemarch, and going to end his stricken life in that sad refuge, the indifference of new faces. The duteous, merciful constancy of his wife had delivered him from one dread, but it could not hinder her presence from being still a tribunal before which he shrank from confession and desired advocacy. His equivocations with himself about the death of Raffles had sustained the conception of an omniscience whom he prayed to, yet he had a terror upon him which would not let him expose them to judgment by a full confession to his wife. The axe which he had washed and diluted with inward argument and motive, and for which it seemed comparatively easy to win invisible pardon, what name would she call them by? That she should ever silently call his axe murder was what he could not bear. He felt shrouded by her doubt. He got strength to face her from the sense that she could not yet feel warranted in pronouncing that worst condemnation on him. Sometime, perhaps, when he was dying, he would tell her all, in the deep shadow of that time, when she held his hand in the gathering darkness, she might listen without recoiling from his touch. Perhaps. But concealment had been the habit of his life, and the impulse to confession had no power against the dread of a deeper humiliation. He was full of timid care for his wife, not only because he depreciated any harshness of judgment from her, but because he felt a deep distress at the sight of her suffering. She had sent her daughters away to board at a school on the coast, that this crisis might be hidden from them as far as possible. Set free by their absence from the intolerable necessity of accounting for her grief, or of beholding their frightened wonder, 
she could live unconstrainedly in the sorrow that was every day streaking her hair with whiteness and making her eyelids languid tell me anything that you would like to have me do harriet bulstrode had said to her i mean with regard to arrangements of property it is my intention not to sell the land i possess in this neighbourhood but to leave it to you as a safe provision if you have any wish on such subjects do not conceal it from me a few days afterwards when she had returned from a visit to her brothers she began to speak to her husband on a subject which had for some time been in her mind i should like to do something for my brother's family nicholas and i think we are bound to make some amends to rosamond and her husband walter says mr lydgate must leave the town and his practice is almost good for nothing and they have very little left to settle anywhere with i would rather do without something for ourselves to make some amends to my poor brother's family mrs bulstrode did not wish to go nearer to the facts than in the phrase make some amends knowing that her husband must understand her he had a particular reason which she was not aware of for wincing under her suggestion he hesitated before he said it is not possible to carry out your wish in the way you propose my dear mr lydgate has virtually rejected any further service from me he has returned the thousand pounds i lent him mrs casaubon advanced him the sum for that purpose here is his letter the letter seemed to cut mrs bulstrode severely the mention of mrs casaubon's loan seemed a reflection of that public feeling which held it a matter of course that every one would avoid a connection with her husband she was silent for some time and the tears fell one after the other her chin trembling as she wiped them away bulstrode sitting opposite to her ached at the sight of that grief-worn face which two months before had been bright and blooming it had aged to keep sad company with his own withered features urged into some effort at comforting her he said there is another means harriet by which i might do a service to your brother's family if you like to act on it and it would i think be beneficial to you it would be an advantageous way of managing the land which i mean to be yours she looked attentive garth once thought of undertaking the management of stone court in order to place your nephew fred there the stock was to remain as it is and they were to pay a certain share of the profits instead of an ordinary rent that would be a desirable beginning for the young man in conjunction with his employment under garth would it be a satisfaction to you yes it would said mrs bulstrode with some return of energy poor walter is so cast down i would try anything in my power to do him good before i go away we have always been brother and sister you must make the proposal to garth yourself harriet said mr bulstrode not liking what he had to say but desiring the end he had in view for other reasons besides the consolation of his wife you must state to him that the land is virtually yours and that he need have no transactions with me communications can be made through standish i mention this because garth gave up being my agent i can put into your hands a paper which he himself drew up stating conditions and you can propose his renewed acceptance of them i think it is not unlikely that he will accept when you propose the thing for the sake of your nephew End of chapter 85 As read for LibriVox by Madame Tusk www.rlowalrus.sitesled.com